thank you, Mira, and the Institute for the opportunity. Um, I wish I was here today to present a list of solutions, um, but as Mira has pointed out, unfortunately, I only really have questions to offer. Um, but my hope today is to share those questions and see if we can move the discussion around truth decay forward. Uh, truth decay being the term coined by Jennifer Cavanaugh and Michael D. Rich in their 2018 paper to describe a phenomenon defined by four factors observed in society today and at several other points in the history of journalism. So those four factors are increasing disagreement about facts and analytical interpretations of facts and data. For example, the gap between how some Americans imagine violent crime rates to be rising when the data shows otherwise. A blurring of the line between opinion and fact. Think of shows like Sean Hannity's on Fox or Jake Tapper's on CNN. The increasing relative volume and resulting influence of opinion and personal experience over fact. And number four, the declining trust in formally respected sources of factual information. So the question I am posing today, what can we learn from Kanye West about new media consumption patterns? And should we change the ways we reach and monitor or legislate reach to audiences? So first, uh, just to be sure we're all on the same page, who is Kanye? Um, why do we care what he's saying? <clears throat> first and foremost, he's the only child of Donda West, who has a PH had a PhD in English, um, and the son of Ray West, a photojournalist. Uh, they divorced when he was three, and he spent a year in China while his mom taught at a university there. Um, he's an artist, uh, a rap artist specifically, uh, who has released eight studio albums that have been downloaded a hundred million times. He's a designer with a fashion line and a shoe collaboration with Adidas. Uh, he's an influencer with 29 million Twitter followers, constant media attention, and to put that into real terms, he has 180% uh, more reach than The Economist. Um, if you <laughs> look at his reach figures compared to The Economist circulation figures in 2017. He's also the husband of Kim Kardashian, so more amplification, and the father of three. And he's someone who's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and is still struggling to come to terms with what that means um, if we take his comments into account. Um, my paper focused on what happened last year, which was very uh, entertaining to watch, troubling to watch, um, for fans, horrifying, uh, for the media, um, traffic driving. Um, so a newly diagnosed yay in 2018 was looking for a new approach to life, a free-thinking way to approach life. Um, but how did he go in the space of one summer from a man who once said Bush doesn't care about black people in the wake of the New Orleans floods to a MAGA hat-wearing Trump-supporting um, person aligned with movements that at best would be described as conservative, uh, at worst white supremacist? Where was he getting his information? Um, he's proudly described himself as an anti-reader. Uh, he is anti-media. He's said on stage multiple times, the media's out to get me, so he's not consuming media. He's anti-social media. At the time, he was following three people on Twitter, Candace Owens, his wife, and Kid Cudi, an artist he produces. 
uh, he'd been tweeting about his search for free, free thinking inspiration, uh, and we found out where that inspiration was coming from when he followed and tweeted his support for Candace Owens. Uh, and he tweeted this list of bookmarked Google search results, which turned out to be YouTube results. So we know that he was using YouTube to find his inspiration, and specifically, he found Candace Owens, uh, who is an individual who, as a teenager, experienced uh, a, a rough time of it. She, uh, at 14, received very hate-filled voice messages from um, her a, a fellow classmate, a boy who had been a friend who was jealous uh, that she was spending time with a new boyfriend. Um, but the messages were along the lines of, we're going to kill you in the same way we killed Martin Luther King, and we're going to tar and feather you. Uh, and it turned into a huge media storm. She now accuses um, the NAACP of using her uh, to drum up publicity. And uh, it, it's... Ooh. Uh, it's, uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you what NAACP North American... Um, National um, Association thank you. <laughs> National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People. Coloured People. It's, a, it's an organisation that um, advocates for uh, civil rights. And, um, yeah, so she, she was clearly affected by that happening. She went on in her 20s to try to launch a, a network called Social Autopsy, which would uh, basically unveil people who are mean online. So you would go and type in the name of a person and it would tell you their real identity. And you would then be able to go to their boss and say, this person was mean to me. It was um, a sweet, naive idea that would have resulted in many ruined lives, um, something we call doxing. And there was rightly a big backlash and she disappeared for a year and re-emerged as a conservative um, YouTuber. She's very convincing in her rhetoric um, but she cher cherry picks her narratives very much based around individualism, very anti-welfare, very pro-Trump, very prone to conspiracy. The media is controlled um, and we are given messages to put out. Um, <clears throat> There's a deep state. George Soros is trying to bring back socialism. Uh, and she's on the payroll of Turning Point USA, which is an organization that believes universities are breeding grounds for leftism and we're all being brainwashed uh, to uh, found a nice socialist state. Um, so what does the up next algorithm have to do with Candace Owens and Kanye West? Um, firstly, an algorithm is a piece of code that decides what piece of content is going to play next. And it does so with a formula that looks at things like what you've watched before, who you are, how old you are, what your gender is, what's uh, popular at the moment. And it takes all these pieces of information and then serves up something that it thinks you're going to be likely to want to stick around and watch. Why do we do it? Because uh, they generate far more streams. Uh, in a um, personal observation of the rollout of, a, of this kind of algorithm, um, we saw a 40% increase in streams overnight. 
So, um, and more streams means more adverts, and more adverts means more money. Um, what that meant for Kanye, uh, we did a clear cache incognito search for Candace Owens, uh, backdating it to March to see what he would have come across. And what he would have come across is Candace Owens after Candace Owens after Candace Owens, reinforcing the same message um, and other recommendations. The only other people that came up were people like Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, Liberty Hound, and Infowars. Uh, so again, just confirming this is true, this is true, because psychologically, <coughs> the more volume, the more we believe things to be true. Um, there are no voices of dissent. Um, and I will kind of caveat that by saying, when uh, last year I went looking for the voices of dissent, they were very difficult to find. They weren't in the comments section. Uh, there was little to no content being put out sort of trying to debunk any of this. Um, so maybe not entirely the algorithm's fault, but Jan Cheslow, who worked on the team that built this algorithm, and no longer works at Google, um, has said that this recommendation algorithm is not optimizing for what is truthful or balanced or healthy for democracy. And um, I think that that's patently obvious from that little line up there that is um, today when I went online to see how Candace was doing on YouTube. Um, I think that the, what underlies the success of this algorithm is human nature. And we are all just a little bit yeezy. I'm going to uh, pull up a little quote so that I get this correct. Yeah. So as free thinking as, and as critical as we wish to believe we are, the science is not gray in this area. Even the brightest among us have flaws in the way we collect and store information. Uh, we use all sorts of approaches and strategies to avoid or resist uh, factual threats to our worldviews. Uh, criticizing or disparaging the source of the conflicting information, questioning the validity of the information itself, framing our rationale in terms that are moral or emotional or religious, and thus unfalsifiable um, instead of fact. And Ye, like all of us, is programmed to seek out information that he agrees with. And that information is more enjoyable to consume, so we consume more of it. And the more we consume, the more convinced we become, and the more uncomfortable and unpleasant um, it is to be confronted by an alternative version. And so a person who set out to embrace free thinking can end up promoting rhetoric that seems like the antithesis of free thought. And thought is not free by virtue of its unpleasantness, which seems to be the conclusion that Kanye has reached. So what are our options? Um, we could look to education and try to teach people uh, more about their own cognitive biases. Uh, it is a long-term solution, it empowers the individual, but it's going to be very slow to implement, and we have no guarantee that that will work at all. Uh, we have government, um, which would be quick, probably a lot more enforceable than any other solution, and 
probably likely to have unintended consequences. Um, as we've seen already in the EU trying to police Google News uh, and the hundreds of thousands of, of uh, euros lost by German newspapers in the last year to that policing, <coughs> an unintended consequence. And it also puts data potentially in the hands of government, which I think we probably all feel a little bit uneasy about. Um, of course, we also feel uneasy about putting it in the hands of Zuckerberg, but um, Zuckerberg, Theresa May, hmm. uh, technology, we, we could pursue finding an innovative technological solution to this. I don't believe that it's impossible to, to write an algorithm that fights, fights misinformation. I just believe it would take a very long time and a very big investment and brains much bigger than mine. Much, much bigger. Um, but what's the motive to do that? The, the, by, by playing on our human foibles, they're making more money and these monopolies already exist and it's not in their interest really to do anything about this. Business, uh, we could remove that profit motive by um, uh, taking money away from content that's deemed low quality, take those adverts and, and say we're not putting that on this content. Again, who gets to decide what low quality content is? Um, and business doesn't exactly have a great track record of implementing uh, um, human-first solutions. Uh, journalistic solutions, uh, maybe this is an opportunity to re-establish the point of journalism um, and move forward with higher standards and kind of a new mission, but trust is incredibly low. And can it be recovered? I, I don't know the answer. And is there something else that I haven't covered here that I haven't thought of? Probably. And that's why I go back to the question, and I was hoping that we could discuss it today. Um, what can we learn from what happens to Kanye West this summer? And how do we change the way that we work, the way that we reach audiences? and the way that we monitor and legislate audience reach. Do we need to legislate it? I'm kind of very annoyingly throwing the question back to you. Um, that was a lot faster than I planned. <laughs> so let's have a long discussion. Thank you very much, Caitlin. Thanks. Thank you.